Hello and welcome to the first Manx Wildlife Trust Wild Thing podcast. I'm Howard Kane. And I'm Aaron Ibanez. And in the coming months, we're going to be exploring a variety of aspects of the Ramsey Forest Project, from trees to bees and moss to mice. Starting with a walk through the woods with the man instrumental to the whole scheme, Andre Doubledam, as we explore the fascinating concept of the Celtic rainforest. So sit back. Put your wellies or slippers on as you prefer. And let's get out there. We're just going up the track behind the... Ramsey Hairpin, beautiful still January day and we've come to have a look at the Ramsey Forest Project and we're going to explore in some of these podcast aspects of the uh, of the forest project there realistically. The man who's uh, behind a lot of this and uh, knows more than most when he remembers is uh, Andre Doubledam. Uh, give us a praise Andre, just, just what is the forest project? Okay so the forest project is a landscape scale project between Ramsey and Solby to have a continuous belt of woodland. Probably over about um, 20 square kilometres what we would be looking for is about um, 30% of the land to be woodland and for them the woodlands to be joined together um, and most importantly quite semi-natural so looking to turn a lot of the plantations into or parts of plantations into native woodlands and joining up a lot of the native woodlands with little belts of new woodland and hedgerows and having a tr- more tree-rich landscape. 20 square kilometres, um, that would be a belt between here and here and Solby. So we're in Ramsey at the moment and then looking up to Solby, going down to Solby River and then up to the sort of the curtilage of the uplands, if you like. OK, and obviously something like this, we're talking, this isn't a short scale or a short term project. This is something we're talking about, my lifespan, your lifespan and well beyond. Yeah, sure. So the actual active phase of it will be the next 30 years, the kind of the um, the getting it started. But that's just the start. You plant an oak tree now, but it's not really going to get the maximum amount of wildlife it could do for probably another 200 years. Though within 100, you get quite a lot. And we sort of think of 100 as quite short term for forest creation. <laughs> um, but it, within 30 years, I think most of our ecological goals will have been met. And we're taking a few themes on this project because there's lots to explore here. And we thought for this first of these podcasts, we would think about the concept of the Celtic rainforest. Now, Aaron, you, you'd spotted this one. Yeah, the Celtic rainforest looks really interesting. Um, and seemingly, I didn't realise that there is portions of Manx forest that sort of qualify, if you like, Andre. Sure. It's... Um Celtic rainforest is very much well named because um, North Wales, West Scotland and West Ireland are the kind of the key parts of the Celtic rainforest. And the Isle of Man is virtually central to all of that. Where our rainfall is high enough, but most importantly where humidity is high enough, we get rainforest conditions. Now technically rainforest conditions are where you get 1400 millimetres of rain or above. But that's quite loose because here on the Isle of Man our summers are particularly cold which means that humidity kind of um, lasts longer. So we can get good rainforest conditions with less rainfall. Now, 1400 mil, we do get that. And probably if we went about another mile or a mile and a half inland into the hills, we'd get to about that. But at the moment, we're sort of somewhere between the hills. So the hairpin is somewhere between the sea Mm. and the hills. And we're probably at about 12 or 1300 here. We're certainly wetter here at the hairpin than we are in central Ramsey. I've worked here many days when it's raining here and sunny in Ramsey, and it stays that way all day. It's cooler, so there's less transpiration. And um, 
and a lot more sheltered here so there's a lot less wind um, this area is one of the least windy parts of the island because you've got the shelter of the hills behind us and you very rarely get a good breeze here so we're in the sort of just above the hairpin now we're going to go a little bit further up the track sure the further up we go the deeper the gorge gets so the less exposure you get the less um the less wind we get and the higher the rainfall it really is every 10 meters you go up you will get a noticeable increase in rainfall fog humidity generally so it actually increases quite fast from this point onwards so right into the into the ramsey tropics then into the tropics i like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think you're dreaming a bit but... <laughs> we should really note that a temperate rainforest is very different from a tropical rainforest <laughs> tropical rainforests are consistently hot temperate rainforests are quite consistently grim and cool yeah a different scale of thing <laughs> yes. and it's i wouldn't say it's grim and cold today it is cold it's not grim it's a beautiful day so on we go but maybe not into the tropics that is the connotation though isn't it of rain so we couldn't stop here at the moment noticing sort of a blanket or a carpet of moss sort of around a lot of the trees and um landscape sort of dominated in this little gully here with the stream of lots of ferns very lush here isn't it yeah it's um it's the middle of january and it is completely green here one of the real key factors you can see is the ivy can you see how the ivy is dangling kind of like five meter long lianas of ivy now that's a real rainforest thing so in a drier condition the tips of the ivy would have just dried off and they would grow quite close to the stem of the tree but here they're dangling right down, long streaming kind of Tarzan-like yeah. kind of lianas. That's a really typical feature. The lush um, evergreen ferns going all the way down the base of the slope, that's a really kind of very typical feature. And you wouldn't get that in a drier woodland. And also there are the more subtle features, and I guess as you've pointed out, the moss is a really good feature, and we'll get really good moss as we go further up. But it's, it does suddenly hit you, the evergreenness of it. Um, um, holly is doing very well here, mosses are doing very well, ivy, ferns, all of these things, totally evergreen. And are the mosses important to the ecosystem here? I, uh, I would say probably the number one sort of species group that are considered important for the Celtic rainforest are the mosses and to a lesser extent the lichens. Um, so internationally important, especially if you go to the west coast of Scotland, is there are many, many, many species of moss that you would find nowhere else in the world. And are they another indicator of that sort of humidity level as well? Definitely, definitely. Um, if you go kind of level with the Isle of Skye, there are really secluded little locks there with massive amounts of oak woodland. And there the range of um, mosses is enormous. It is less so on the Isle of Man, probably because we don't have that history of woodland. Um, what few woodlands we had 200 years ago would have been cropped and cut down on a very regular basis. So there wouldn't have been a tradition of big, large trees like you see around us at the moment um, with lots of moss. Um, so just through human influence, I would have thought we've probably lost the kind of the cream of the crop. But there's no reason why they won't slowly return. Now our, our woodlands are back at last. Um, we should see a general rise in woodland biodiversity again. 
And it's a fascinating one, I always think, with the mosses and that it's, it's, it's another whole world in its own, really, and that, you know, you can find people who are good on birds and people who are great on plants and trees. Mosses is almost like another universe of its own. It really is. I mean, I'm a great botanist, and when it comes to a plant with a flower on it, I could tell you from 100 yards what it is. And yet I look down at the mosses, and I can tell you there's about five different mosses in, the, um, in about the two square feet there. I couldn't tell you a single name. Oh, no, there's a tamarisk moss. Um, but apart from that, no, I, I couldn't tell you many of them. No, who are you and your mosses, Aaron? Yeah. Uh, sphagnum <laughs> is a word I think I can associate with moss, that's about it. Yes, and there are no <laughs> sphagnum mosses here. <laughs> well, we might see a few more mosses further up, so we'll, we'll crack on a bit further up okay. and see how we go. As we get higher up, again, beautiful view, lovely, clear egg blue sky just looking out across and uh, you can see the moss on these trees as we're coming up there's no truth in the old rumor then that moss only grows on the north side no no i don't think on the isle of man it makes much difference it's damp on all sides and especially in a gully like this which probably doesn't get a lot of sun and the rain is is fairly indirect um what you'll find is that the moss is fairly ubiquitous and the higher the rainfall the more the moss so we've got to the stage here which is the kind of the penultimately kind of good moss stage where moss is completely enveloping the tree. Now, if you get really wet conditions, so if we had this same tree in this sort of gully, but two or three miles inland, then the moss would actually be dripping off the tree. So you would get beard growths coming off the tree. And that really is the pinnacle of a temperate rainforest. But this is, this is not bad. You would not find this down in Ramsey. And there's a certain aged look, do you not think, when, when a tree is completely cloaked in this sort of furry moss that's just really growing up, it that, that gives off this kind of, I don't know, mystical kind of thing. It, and particularly when you attach the, the idea of a Celtic rainforest to it, it gives it that ancient kind of feel, do you not think? Sure. I mean, certainly the, the, the moss gives it a good age. And, you know, it's like a beard makes a person look a little bit older <laughs> yeah. and, more, um, uh, and more mature. And um, that's certainly hap happening with this. We know all of these trees are about 100 years old because we know from the records that the whole of Elfin Glen was felled in the First World War. So all of these date back to, to that time. However, the woodland is almost certainly ancient woodland, so the woodland goes back a lot longer. And we know that from the ecological clues. So there's the presence of many species, kind of quite um, probably species that most people wouldn't recognise um, the names of, like remote sedge and sanicle and glustic fungus that occur here, but would not occur in similar woodlands that are younger. So a woodland that was planted 100 years ago, you wouldn't get those species. This is here because it is a relic that, it, that goes way back into time. And on the Isle of Man, there are lots of these very steep ravines, very um, narrow ravines that would have been traditionally woodland. But they would have been managed woodlands. These wouldn't have been so remote that they weren't managed. They were very useful places. They were just places where I guess stock was um, fenced out or, or kept out for, for periods of time to allow the trees to grow. And I was just pondering, looking at the mosses there, and as you say, some of these trees completely cloaked. What's the relationship between tree and moss? Is it sort of, is it an epiphyte or, or is it symbiotic relationship or how do the two sort of relate to each other? Okay, so I don't think that the, 
oak tree gets anything out of the moss, but I don't think that the moss affects Thank the tree you. in any way, shape or form. It can get nutrients from the bark, but that's because the bark is constantly shedding and kind of renewing anyway. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you picked off some of the older bits of moss, you'd actually see some the formation of the start of soil coming through. So it actually it builds up its own, its own ecosystem, its own soil within the tree. And on bigger trees where you get the kind of crux in branches, you'll get good deposits of soil forming. And not all of it, just kind of um, compost. I mean, there's quite a lot of mineral soil, bits of sand start getting in. Goodness knows how. Um, but it gets up there. And once you get the moss forming and the moss growing enough and there's enough soil, then you get plants. So you suddenly start seeing ferns and honeysuckle growing out the, the tops of the tree. And all of this makes a sort of cascade of biodiversity. So species yield species which yield species and in the end each individual tree becomes an ecosystem in its own right it's it's quite fascinating marvelous a cascade of an ecosystem we're going to carry on a bit further up the track watching these trees as we go and uh, of course you can come up and have a look yourself anytime you can pick a nice day like us so put your wellies on and uh, waterproof and come on a wet day you might find andre here you never know can see all those growths, those blue growths in the twigs. Now that's all lichen. And, um, and that lichen will, as this tree gets older and older, it will get bigger and bigger and more species. And again, there will be species that will get really beard like and long. So this, will, this tree will be really supporting an amazing amount of wildlife. Because there are many moth species and fly species whose larvae will only feed on mosses and lichens and probably only one or two different species of mosses and lichens. So as I say, biodiversity generates biodiversity and that is the beauty of these woodlands. Um, so one of the things that um, Celtic rainforests are known for is mosses and lichens, but another one is moths. And it's because a lot of these moths that really have got very specific requirements for, for lichen growth um, prefer it here. There's another whole specialist area of moths in that. There's only, what, 17, 18 species of butterfly, but God knows how many moths on the island, man. I know we have some good mothers over here. We do, yeah. we do. And I think another thing to point out from here is that the hazel is in flower. So we've got a very mild winter this year. It doesn't feel like it today. But that hazel has got hundreds of catkins on, uh, yeah, middle yeah. of January. And you can imagine that's going to be a lot of hazelnuts. That is. Um, and it's, it's unusually early. It's, it's what, what, 17th, 18th of January as we're talking now? Yeah, I mean, normally you would think kind of first couple of weeks in February they start to come okay. out. But they do stagger. So we've got lots of hazel bushes here without any catkins on at all yet. Um, the bush just to our left, it's just got the first few coming out. But certainly the one below us, it's almost gone over. Those, those tassels are starting to look a bit raggy. And I guess that's... Um, the genetic diversity within the hazel, making sure if they're spread out over a long yeah, period of time, the, gives them the maximum chances of reproduction. There's a lot of wood mice in this wood, and that is because you've got good amounts of hazelnuts being produced. I was going to ask more about sort of the wildlife side as well. You're talking about the characteristics of the of the Celtic rainforest. Just want to set my imagination going now. We sort of transport ourselves back, sort of back in time before sort of forests were being felled on the Isle of Man. Maybe even back times of like red deer and that. Okay. Um, what what kind of wildlife are we are we seeing in our forests? Okay. So the forests five thousand years ago, which is kind of pre-man, if you like, would have looked a lot like this: hazel and birch. And we know that from pollen records. So we've looked at the pollen records that are, are stored in peat um, peat cores down in some of the wetlands of the Isle of Man, and they show very clearly 
that um, uh, hazel and oak would have been quite predominant in parts of the island. And we know from the British Isles generally, on these sorts of soils where the water, where the rainfall has leached out the goodness out of the soils, very little ash and very little elm can survive. It's just too poor. And then we're just left with the oak and, uh, and, and birch and hazel. It would have looked a lot like this. Um, we know again from records pre-First World War that we had wildlife like wood warbler. And wood warbler nested on the island for many years before the First World War and these forests were, were all felled. But because these forests are looking now just like they did probably about the time of the First World War, so it's another hundred years have moved on, these have matured, we're sort of hoping that birds like wood warbler will now start to find um, woodlands like this amenable again. So fingers crossed within the next decade or two a lot of those species that would have occurred on the Isle of Man thousands of years ago will start to move back in and even in the last few years we've had woodpeckers recolonize the Isle of Man and that's just one of many. So birds recolonize quite easily or some birds will and some birds kind of more slowly. Moths will recolonize quite quickly Plants will tend not to recolonize, but mosses and lichens, which have got sort of these really airborne spores, they've got a better chance of colonizing. So we're hoping that the general biodiversity of woodlands, and especially these um, Atlantic oak woodlands, that, that they'll um, improve quite a lot. So we're slowly seeing a restoration of the natural order on the Isle of Man? Definitely. Is that a bit ambitious to say? No, nope, nope, it's, um, well, it's happening in front of your eyes. Um, there are places like the National Glens which have been effectively not managed now for many, many years. And a lot of those natural processes, and we've seen the wildlife like the glue stick fungus, which would have been quite rare for many, many years, are suddenly becoming quite common. Um, we're seeing trees like these oak trees, which, to be honest with you, we wouldn't have had many mature oak trees for thousands of years because any time a tree got to the size of these trees, they would have been chopped down. Um, they would have been used. So these trees are, are, are something new. Um, they're something not seen before for a long time and, and quite encouraging. And I just love the fact that we're looking around, we're talking about these lichens and some of these great ones down the bottom here. I don't know, that's, it's not an old man's beard, is it? But that's the one you quite often see uh, oh, yeah. in the train sets where they use for bushes and such like a gorgeous yes. uh, one in the lichens. And a great indicator species because lichens... Uh, generally won't grow where there's polluted air. No, I mean that sort of lichen and that level of growth will only be in clean air and that's the one thing the Isle of Man has in droves is good clean air and humidity as well. So in, um, in a drier environment you could get the same species but it would be much smaller. It wouldn't just have those large tendrils, it wouldn't look as lush. And the colour is amazing. It hasn't rained today but um, after rain the colour becomes very vibrant. It's a turquoise sort of colour now but it goes a very vibrant shiny turquoise. I think the, um, the Manx rainforests are something that are going to develop and become much, much more interesting over the next 50 years. It'll be really exciting to see them. So here we go. We're pretty much at the, well, as far as we're going to go today, the track goes on further, but we've got to the end of our line looking at uh, the forest projects, or at least this section of the forest project today. Plenty more ivy looking out here as we're looking across and we were just discussing as we were coming up. Great in the summer for, for bats? Absolutely. So the ivy is doing so well here because they're growing on ash trees. And the ash trees have just found a little bit of fertility here. 
Ash trees have a very light canopy. Ivy loves that and they can grow right up. And here you can see that the ivy is probably as old as the, as the trees themselves. So these ivy plants are probably going on for 100 years. Um, they're really important for the bats. Um, they're really good um, where the ivy gets more open and there are gaps behind the large stems. That's really good sort of just daytime roosts. Um, are just a place to, to park up and also it's a source of invertebrates so the invertebrates will be hiding there overnight um, during the day and then coming out at night so they're, um, they're, the bats are there to snap them up as they come. Now Clebane is amazing site for bats. Um, we had the Manx bat group come up in June and July and they found this to be the first site where every single species of Manx bat has been recorded. Um, and that is here in Elfin Glen, as well as, more importantly, the recently felled areas we've got just adjacent in Clebane Plantation. Um, so that's seven or eight species of bat, and some of them very common, like the common pipistrelle, very, very common. But then there were even bats that are normally restricted to just waterways, um, like the Dorbenton's bat, yeah. that we found up here. Wow. So that was quite encouraging. Um, it doesn't mean that we've got new bats. These were bats that would have um, been around before we had done the management here, but it means that they're finding what we've done very good, very pleasing, and hopefully they'll come up and stay. And you mentioned the word, I was just you taking the word out of my mind there, management, and that you look at this sort of landscape, and we're talking about the Celtic rainforest, we're talking about trees which are 100 years old, we're talking about lichens and mosses and you look around and it feels there's this ancient feel as Aaron was hinting at before of a, of a land which might have been like this before mankind was around at all and yet you mentioned the word management there. Does it need management this sort of so, scenario? One of the reasons we're doing management is because a place like Elfin Glen should just not be managed so we don't want to touch this. Um, I, I think we would be we would be pilloried if we tried to do management here. People love the, the wildness of it. But a lot of the biodiversity is very dependent on management. So it was managed traditionally very intensively. The woodland would have been cropped every couple of years um, and you wouldn't have had big trees. And that brings with it um, a very different woodland, a woodland full of butterflies, a woodland full of um, nesting birds and a woodland absolutely dense with wildflowers. Um, so what we've done is we've said, well, rather than try and return this to what it was traditionally, maybe 100 years ago, a managed woodland, what we'll do is we'll turn the conifer plantation adjacent to us in Clebane Plantation, we'll turn that into a traditional management, see how much of the biodiversity that has survived on this site, we'll just transfer across. So things like the glue stick fungus and the sanicle and the wood sedges, they'll all hopefully colonise next door. Um, so we'll get the both of, best of both worlds. We'll get a managed woodland, but without trashing um, what looks like just a pris pristine, um, really ancient woodland. It does. And I think if you get invasive species, say like rhododendron or something coming in, do you have to get in there and get that out? Definitely. Um, probably one of the most controversial things is, is one of the um, invasive species is unfortunately the beech tree. Now, the beech tree is probably one of the most beautiful trees we have on the Isle of Man, but ecologically is a wrecking ball for woodlands like this because it casts such a heavy shade. It can grow up underneath an oak tree, grow through the oak tree, out the top, and then shade off and kill the oak tree. Um, and that clearly would have devastating ecological effects. And I think maybe the established um, beech trees that are here, we probably wouldn't touch, but it would be very prudent, I think, to make sure that 
no seedlings get established and we just keep a check and make sure that the present generations of beech trees are the last just so there are areas of this pristine oak woodland as you would have found 5,000 years ago still on the Isle of Man. It's not somewhere something we would do across the Isle of Man. Yeah. Most woodlands, beech trees are more than welcome. But there are places where we try and just keep things um, as pristine and wildlife rich as we possibly can. And in terms of the conservation effort and perhaps the, the legacy of the forest um, project, um, is it a case of wanting to emulate these conditions and stretch it and create this green belt, so to speak, of... Yeah. Um, so the vast majority of what we think of as the Ramsey Forest would be probably a very low intensity management, either just managed very occasionally for um, collecting very valuable trees um, or firewood. But the vast majority, we wouldn't be looking at um, productive woodland like a, a plantation woodland. We would be looking at a low productive woodland where, where it's really kept for nature, for recreation. I think the value to us as people, as a society now, is to enjoy the trees mm. rather than to enjoy the products of the trees. And just finally, this week, before we start to paddle back down again, we were saying coming up now, obviously you're going to live for another 100 years or so easily, and Aaron, a couple of hundred years, I thought. But on the basis, this land is going way beyond our life scales, as we hinted at at the beginning. How do we preserve that for other generations? Is this something that's going to be sort of mapped down so when people look at the maps on the Isle of Man, they look at the landscape, they can see where this forest project is actually designated? I think it's one of the joys of when you're writing a management plan. Part of it is for now, but part of it is a legacy for the future. So it is a historical document. Just as we look at estate archives and estate records of Tudor times and even further now, and we look at the Doomsday Book and all sorts of historical records, people will be looking back at our records because the changes we're reaping to the countryside probably post-millennium to turn a lot of areas back to more wild areas to reflect the idea that we are becoming well we're becoming a bit fat um, <laughs> and we want somewhere we want somewhere to go and enjoy and to get healthy and happy again um, and that's a narrative people will be really interested in in a few hundred years so I think that's yeah it's really interesting to to feel that what you're doing is quite historical In the coming episodes, we will explore topics including wild play, nature and well-being, community involvement and individual species such as the plants, the bird life and bats found within the Forest Project area. The Ramsey Forest Project podcast has been made possible by funding from the Manx Lottery Trust. Until next time, be good and get wild. Wild thing, I think I love you.